Look over at Ephesians 6, 18 through 24. We come to the close of this wonderful epistle, and as always, we turn our attention to the Word of God. Paul says in 6.18, you follow along, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me. That words may be given to me in the opening of, in the opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel in which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. See that you may know, so that you may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all and love uh, grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray and ask his blessing today. Father, we look unto you. We look unto you, Father. Where does our help come from? Our help comes from you, the creator of the heaven and the earth. Father, just a prayer here for Kate, four young kids. I I think six and below. I pray that your mercy and your grace and your comfort be given to her just today, Father. Grace for today. Father, hope for the future. Thank you for Danny, a a life well-lived, converted, I believe, when he was 28, and then a dramatic salvation and a dramatic short time of service, but we're so thankful. May you comfort that family. May you comfort that local church, Grace Bible, that has lost a pastor and an elder as well, Father. We lift him up to you and for the Lindman family. Thank you for Russ. Father, how we're in need of all these things, both physically, spiritually as well, Father, that we'd be mindful, Father, for you to turn our minds to the word of God, that we might be encouraged by it, that you might speak through it. We ask this in your name, all God's children said. Amen. Well, we come to the close of this wonderful epistle of Ephesians. I mean, I, it has been life-changing for me, and I trust that it has been life-changing for you. I think here on the top of my notes, it's my 89th message in Ephesians, and obviously it goes a little longer than that with Christmas and some breaks in the summer and Easter and various things, but I've been so glad because I really think it's allowed our church to be grounded in an ecclesiology that is needed. Now, we come to this section here, really 18 down through 24. We can call it a prayer. It is certainly at the beginning. And prayer here is not listed as a piece of God's armor. Some people say that it's the seventh piece. But there seems to be a distinct nature in the language. I don't think it's listed as a piece of God's armor, but it is perhaps 
the ultimate weapon in our fight against the rulers and powers and world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness, Paul says, in the heavenly places in 612. Now, beloved, we know that God's armor is not mechanical. God's armor is, is not even magical. In other words, all the time we are putting that armor on, we are fighting, and at least in Ephesians 6, we are standing, but when we stand, we're, sta- we're standing as we pray. In other words, we appropriate the armor of God through prayer. Now, Paul has said a ton about prayer already. You have two classic prayers by Paul, actually in all of the scripture, found in chapter 1, 15 through 23, and then another one, a second one in chapter 3, 14 through 21. And the thought here of this is to be watchful, so that as we put on the armor, we at the same time need to be on the alert. In fact, I think we're aware of 1 Corinthians 10, 12 that says, let him who thinks he stand... Take heed lest he, what? He fall. And so we need this watchful approach. So here as we come to the text, it's the four alls of prayer that allow us to stand in the battle against Satan. But then it is followed by a very tender, personal, closing benediction. But we began last week on the four alls, the four alls. And we called it the four alls because look at verse 18. He said there, praying at all times in the spirit. Verse 18, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all all the saints, okay? And so as we begin that last week, we looked first at the time of prayer. The time of prayer. There really isn't uh, one designated time in the scripture, and I took time to tell you that. We're to pray at all times in the spirit. Or maybe as the psalmist said in Psalm 55, morning, noon, and night, I cry out to the Lord. So he doesn't designate the morning. He doesn't designate the evening. He doesn't designate it just to meals. He doesn't uh, designate it only to times of uh, uh, holidays, uh, Thanksgiving, what we're thankful for. No, he basically says, listen, the time of prayer is all times. And we said that prayer is like breathing. As we breathe in and out every moment, we are constantly to be praying at all times through the Spirit's enablement. And then secondly, the variety of prayer. The variety of prayer with all prayer and petition. I think that word prayer, the other word petition or the word supplication are many times in the scripture used interchangeably. I think that's fair. But if there is a focus there, prayer is a general word for prayer. Supplication is a specific request. So Paul is telling us as we put on this armor, we can pray at all times and we can pray a variety of prayers, general prayers and very specific prayers. We just prayed specifically for Kate and those four children and for the Lindman family. Those are specific 
prayers. And so there's a variety of prayers, standing up, kneeling, laying down, bowed down, prostrate, and that's where we left off. And then we came to that third focus. We'll pick it up there, the perseverance of prayer. When he said in verse 18, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance And then he says, making supplication for all the saints. But he says, to that end, the the thought would be, pray at all times with a variety of prayers to this end or for this purpose. And then look at the text again. It says there, to keep alert. The ideal is to stay awake. The idea for us is as we put the armor on, We need to be watchful, we need to be alert, and we need to be in prayer. I like how it says in Colossians 4.12, where it says, devote yourself to prayer, or it says, continually, steadfastly, devote yourself to prayer. And then it says there, to keep alert in prayer with all perseverance. So as we think about our prayer life, you're putting on your armor and there are those individual pieces, but as you put that on, you're appropriating that armor through this aspect of perseverance to stay awake, to stay watchful, to stay alert, to to persevere. In fact, in Luke 18, Jesus told them a parable in effect that, that they always ought to pray and not lose heart. We are to be a people that are always in prayer, that we wouldn't, he says in 18.1, lose heart, that we wouldn't grow weary, that we wouldn't have fatigue, if you will, step in, but that we would be persevering in prayer, watchful in it, alert in it. Obviously, our enemy prowls about like a roaring lion seeking to devour. In fact, I I alluded to this, but in Luke 21, at the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, it says there to stay awake at all times, praying that you have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So I love that. Stay awake be watchful, be in prayer. And here we're not standing before our enemy as in Ephesians 6, but to stand before the Son of Man. And so there's this aspect of persevering. There's this aspect in our prayer life that we can't give up, that we can't grow weary. In fact, Jesus said in Mark 9, what Casey just read, that this kind only comes out by what? By prayer. And I think not only prayer, but also I would think that he's saying persistent prayer. In Luke 11, there was a, you remember the guy that banged and banged and banged then some more on the door of a friend? He said, I have need of bread to set before a friend that has come. The man says in Luke 11 that I'm in bed and so are my wife and kids, but he just keeps banging and finally... The man gets up and uh, he says, all right, all right. He gives him the bread and Jesus declares that if a sleeping man will come down and give bread to a friend's friend banging on the door, what do you think a loving father will give to his son or daughter who has a need? We just need to be persistent in prayer. 
I talked to you last week about the widow in Luke as well, where she just kept hounding the judge, hounding the judge. And the judge said, I don't like this woman, nor do I care for this woman, but let this, lest this woman continually wear me out, I will grant her request. In fact, in Luke 18, 7 and 8, it says, will not give Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? So, beloved, you think about our prayer. You're to pray at all times in the Spirit. There is a variety of prayer, both in general request and specific request. But there is a perseverance in prayer that we ought to be modeling in our own life and as a church. In the book of Acts in 2.42, I think you remember this by heart, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. There was a devotion to it. There was a perseverance to it. Listen, beloved, we are in an invisible war. We need to watch, we need to pray uh, for the key to victory over the world, over the flesh, over the devil. So he says, stay alert, watch and pray, and here, persevere in prayer. This is what we're called to be as a body of Christ. So there's the time of prayer, it's all times. There's a variety of prayer where it says to pray and make up supplication, if you will, and petition. There is a, a perseverance of prayer to stay alert. And then I draw you to this fourth and final all there where it says making supplication for all the saints. Okay. Here is the objects of prayer. It's very specific here. It's for all the saints. Other passages, you're to pray for unbelievers. In other passages, you're praying for those as missionaries. In other passages, we should pray for the universal church, the persecuted church, people that are being persecuted. So when you think about your prayer list and your prayer routines, there is this aspect of the objects of our prayer. And here, it's very specific. You see that. It's all the saints, okay? In other words, when you pray, when I pray, it can't just be about you. Prayer is never to be seen as some selfish act. And I don't want to outrule that we're going to pray for ourselves and pray for our response and pray for wisdom in this issue and pray for, you know, guidance in this issue and pray according to the will of God. I understand that you too, you too as well. But the objects of prayer, at least here in this book, is all the saints, I just did a quick list and I think they'll come up on the screen. Paul said to the church at Rome, how unceasingly, just constant, I make mention of you. Okay, I think that's how it is. Yeah, make mention of you. To the church at, the, at Corinth, he said in 1-4, I thank my God always concerning you okay so he's praying for the church at Rome he's praying for the church at Corinth he's praying for the church at Ephesus we studied that in Ephesians 1 16 I do not cease giving thanks 
for you. And for Paul at the church at Ephesus was very personal. He pastored this church longer than any other church on his missionary journeys. He was night and day with tears as he departed from them and would see them no more when he was in Acts 20 at Miletus. But I do not cease giving thanks for you. Okay, and then you go over to the book of Colossians, the church at Colossae 1-3, praying always for you. This is what a body does. This is what a local church does. In other words, you strap your armor on, but we pray for each other. First Thessalonians, the church at Thessalonica in 1-2, we give thanks for all of you. Listen, let me just say this. And it's probably an understatement. Prayer could be the greatest thing you do for another believer. And I hope that that encourages you. Because maybe there's circumstances that don't allow you to be at everything you'd like to be. Maybe there's physical shortcomings that keep you restricted in some of the things you're doing. But listen, the prayer could be the greatest thing you do for another believer. And that would include our church, the persecuted church, the missionaries in which we serve. I I do want to just say to you personally that there is nothing for me more humbling and joyful to know that many of you pray for Patty and I and our children. I I don't think maybe a week, maybe a month goes by where people don't say, Pastor, we pray for you every day. We pray for your kids every day. I just wanna say thank you to that. We are fighting in an invisible war and we can't always see what's going on, but when I know and hear from you that you're praying for us, it is like the most humbling and joyful thing there is. Because we're a family that way and we pray for each other. I think MacArthur gave the flip side of that. He said the spiritually mature believer is devoted to the welfare of others, especially fellow believers. He said, on the other hand, the root of both psychological and spiritual sickness is a preoccupation with self. Ironically, the believer who is consumed with his own spiritual problems to the exclusion of the concern for others suffers from a self-destructive, self-centeredness. He says that not only is the cause of, but is the barrier to the solution of his own problems. And then he said, usually such selfish, selfishness Uh, isolates him from other believers who if they were intimately involved in fellowship with would be regularly praying for his spiritual warfare or spiritual welfare. End of quote. Praise God for that. Listen, here's what we need to pray. I, I think most Christians pray sometimes with some prayers with some degree of perseverance for some of God's people. But if we were to replace the word some with the word all, I think that would classify us as a godly man or a godly woman. May that be our 
may that be our hope and our passion. So here's the objects of prayer. First, we pray for all the saints. But secondly, look at the text. It, it's, it's really, it's Paul in, not in, it, in his humanity. Look at verse 19. He says, and pray also for me that words may be given to me in the opening, uh, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in chains. He, he says, pray for me. I don't, it's hard to calibrate this and put this in a principle. I think you can read it as I read it. It's the Apostle Paul. It's not just a servant of the Lord. It's the Apostle Paul. Paul, uh, by way of church history, had his head severed on the way to the, on the Ignatian way. But as he writes this letter, he's sitting in a, a Roman cell and he's penning it under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. And he says, also for me. He says, you pray for me that when I open my mouth, I can open my mouth boldly. I can open my mouth fearlessly. And so he's asking, and so I take this as a prayer for leaders, okay, that that what would be given would be a liberty of speech, that Paul would not be intimidated in any way from his detractors, that he would not be set back by the presence of the evil one. And he said, pray for me. You say, what did he ask prayer for? Look at it again in 19. That words may be given in the opening of my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. That was the passion of his heart. It says that phrase six times in the book of Ephesians. And he's asking for prayer that he would speak, if you will, with freedom, with confidence, with boldness in gospel proclamation. This was his prayer. And you can read about that mystery in chapter 3, 4 through 6. And then the grace that was given to him to be an apostle of Jesus Christ to do this, to boldly proclaim the gospel. Now you might ask, well, does, does Paul know the gospel? Well, you know that he knows the gospel. We know from the book of Galatians in Galatians chapter 2 that he probably spent 14 to 17 years in direct revelation with the Lord Jesus Christ. He went out and preached early on in the book of Acts, but then in Galatians 2, he gets away. And that he's the one who's speaking in the third person, said, I was caught up into heaven and I saw things so glorious that I can't talk about them. But here, he's asking you, and I'm asking you for leadership in our church, that we would be able to speak with freedom, confidence, boldness in the gospel proclamation. But he's asking here, he knows the gospel, but I'll say it this way, because this is what it means. He's praying for divine strength to put the words together to proclaim the gospel, And he often asked for prayer this way. And I just think it's a picture of humanity. Listen, when our guys go out to the prison, we need to pray for them. 
We probably should have a list of who's out in Kalinga today and who's out at uh, the other prison. Starts with a P, Andy. What is that? Pleasant, Pleasant Hill or some, one of those. I'm probably wrong. I'm butchering it. But I just think we need to pray for these men. You say, well, they know the gospel. Yeah, but we're praying for the divine energy to release the power of the word of God so that it can come out in freedom and boldness that these representatives would be able to preach freely. I think like every faithful preacher, he desires the liberty of the spirit to express it boldly and fearlessly. And beloved, I believe that his prayer was answered. Paul in Ro- was in Rome, standing trial before Nero in Acts chapter 28. And it says this in Acts 28. He lived there uh, two whole years, he's under house arrest, at his own expense, welcomed all who came to him, What was he doing? Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with what? With boldness and without hindrance. So this is what he prayed for. Now, don't, I mean, remember where we are because the focus of his prayer, you know this, and I'm just sharing this, highlighting it, is not his freedom from imprisonment. He is not asking you to pray for bloody ankles. I don't know that his ankles are bloody, but he's chained in there and he's in a Roman cell. He says nothing of his own needs. He says nothing of his own freedom this way. He says nothing of the food or lack of food that he's not eating. He's saying, you pray for me that there would come a boldness and a freedom in declaring the gospel no matter what the cost. He's in prison. Listen, I hear a little different prayer in our prayers a lot. And I don't, we need to pray for physical items, but this man was zealous for the gospel and zealous for the gospel proclamation. He would even say, don't consider it bad that I'm in jail because now that I've been in jail, the whole Praetorian guard has heard about the gospel. But he's not praying for his physical needs. He's not praying for his food. He's not praying for the ankles around his, his, uh, the, the chains, excuse me, around his ankles. No, he's just saying, I want you to pray that the mystery of the gospel would become clear. And, and look at the phrase, though, again. He says, I, I want to proclaim it for which, and I'm in verse 20, I love this, I am an ambassador in chains. Paul called himself not only an apostle, but he's an, an ambassador on behalf of God, except this carries no dignity uh, with other people. He's an ambassador. You could see it in chains. Listen, if people went to Washington, D.C., the capital of the U.S., and they looked at all of the ornate buildings that decorate what is called Embassy Row, they would see uh, the decked out uniforms that the diplomats, the diplomats wear on formal occasions. And uh, if you've ever seen some of that, they fall over themselves to make a visiting ambassador from another country very special. They'll just, they'll just go all out. 
And Paul comes to town, not in formality, not in dignity, but he comes in chains. And he's asking for prayer to deliver the gospel the king commissioned him to give. Listen, this is how we can pray. This is how we can pray for those who are on the mission field. This is how we can pray for the persecuted church. In fact, he says, I'm an ambassador in chains, but look at the end of verse 20. Here's my prayer. Again, he says it, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What a privilege it was to hear Paul's words on this. And, and I don't think he would even just say this of himself. He said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, we are ambassadors for Christ. Make, God is making his appeal through us and we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Listen, maybe I could stop right there and implore you. That if you've been coming and if you've been listening and you're sitting here, but you're just checking us out, listen, I'm begging you, I'm entreating you. I'm coming as an ambassador as Paul did on, the, on behalf of Christ. You need to be reconciled to God because if you're in your sin, you're not reconciled to him. The only way to be reconciled to him is to place your faith and hope and trust on the Lord Jesus Christ and on his work on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. And in that way, you can join your hand with the hand of God and become one. But Paul is saying, pray for this. I just think of all the outlets we have here in preaching, whether it's the men's Bible study, the women's Bible study, whether we're going to Hume Lake or whether we're going to Springville or whether the men are going out to the prison or people are going out to the abortion clinic on Friday or what Josh Nichols and the 18 to 24 leadership is, group is going. And by the way, we have the best evangelism going on right now, maybe not even in this place, but maybe in the Generations Building to see our kids. And, and I think he's just saying here, I, I need prayer. I need boldness. I realize Paul's saying there's repercussions with this, but he says, pray for me. Here's what he's praying. He's praying and he's desirous that his message be clear, that his message be without compromise, that his content and his, his courage would be to speak freely and boldly. He is not praying for self-preservation. He's praying for gospel proclamation. And I just, I just wonder that's how we, we should be praying. We should be praying. We live in a unique state, but listen, it, it's important. We're, we're made in the image of God, but he's not praying for self-preservation. He's praying for bold gospel proclamation. And uh, he's not even asking people, you understand this just from the reading, to escape his own death. I mean, he never prayed that. He never said, get me out of this place. Okay, at least here he didn't. He says, I just want to speak the gospel boldly. And I think there's part of us that needs that in the community in which we live. Paul says, pray for me. Listen, Satan knows that when he strikes the shepherd, the sheep, what? Scatter. I need your prayers. We need your prayers. Because Satan is going to do his best 
to strike the shepherd and the, the sheep scatter. Matthew 26, 31. The church leaders are Satan's special targets. The more faithful and fruitful a pastor is, the more his people need to pray for his strength, for his protection against discouragement, against weariness, against fatigue. Continue to do that. So here's the key. The only way that you're going to be able to stand with God's armor on is to pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and petition, to be on the alert with all perseverance and make all petition and supplication on behalf of the saints. But he's not finished there. He goes one more angle. Look at it in verse 21. He links it. It's still in this context. But so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. He says, I've sent him to you for this very purpose in 22, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. He brings this guy up. Name, you heard how I said it, Tychicus. If you were with Alistair Begg, he would call him Tychicus. And then I heard uh, a message verbally on parts of Ephesians by Chuck Smith. Uh, remember the guy that was so well known in the Calvary Chapel movement and just a faithful longtime guy in the word of God, he called him Tychicus. And I thought, that's certainly wrong. And uh, <laughs> Chuck Smith is in glory and he will know that. But he called him Tychicus. It sounded like some action hero, you know, Tychicus. But this guy, I'm asking you, have you ever heard about him before? Have you ever even heard his name Listen, he's all over the New Testament at various places. He's mentioned in Acts 20, verse 4, he accompanied the Apostle Paul on his travels. Then we know this from the book of Titus. In Titus 3, 12, he intended to either send Tychicus or another man to Crete so that Titus himself can come visit Paul, okay? We... We also know that he was with Paul in Rome during his first Roman imprisonment and that Paul actually sent Tychicus to Ephesus in order to free up Timothy so that Timothy could go visit Paul in prison. That's 2 Timothy 4.12. So you begin to put that together in both Crete and Ephesus. Tychicus likely was an interim pastor for both Titus and Timothy. Here, he's mentioning him because he carried this letter, the original letter, to Ephesus. So I could call him Tychicus the mailman. Now listen, he's not gonna be some hero in the New Testament, but think about it. Paul spoke under the inspiration and the breath of God. He wrote it down on a parchment. It might, he must have at some point like rolled it up for him and he put it in the hands of Tychicus. But he didn't just carry 
the church and here, the, the letter of the Ephesians, he also carried Colossians. He also carried Philemon. And he likely carried 2 Timothy. In fact, there are some who even would say, was he the scribe of these letters? In other words, did Paul, sometimes he wrote, and he would even say, I wrote this in my hand. Could it be that as Paul was under the inspiration of the Spirit for Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and possibly 2 Timothy, that Tychicus was the scribe of these letters? In fact, I would ask you, I'm, I'm outside a little bit, was he the first reader to the church at Ephesus? He carries this. He says, you take this to the church at Ephesus. Tychicus, I'm sending it to the church of Ephesus, but it is going to be a circular letter going all around Asia. And imagine him just carrying that. Now, what, what's fascinating here, maybe he read, we, we don't know that. Maybe he, he was the guy asking questions. Look, you were with Paul. I mean, this is a, an amazing guy. You say, well, what makes him an amazing guy? Look at how he's described in verse 21. Paul says this. Would this be enough for all of us? He's a beloved brother. I, I love that. In other words, He's endearing to us. He's a beloved brother in the body of Christ. Look again there. He is a faithful, I love that word, faithful minister in the Lord. For Tychicus, it wasn't about himself. He was a faithful minister on behalf of Jesus Christ. It's a great quality. And beloved, I'm telling you, he was a mailman. He delivered the, the content, if you will, Paul in the book of Colossians adds one more thing in 4.7. Here he's called a beloved brother. He's called a faithful minister. And then he basically says almost the same thing. But in Colossians 4.7, Paul adds a fellow servant. He's identified as a certain, uh, as a servant. These descriptions, beloved, are not resume virtues, are they? If you're filling out your Resume, not saying you shouldn't do it in the way that would truly reflect who you are. But here's Tychicus, here's his, his resume. And these, there's nothing about degrees. There's nothing about his experience. Uh, no, he's just a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. Here, beloved, is what God esteems. You know, it just touches my heart if this is, I believe, what happened. Tychicus, not Tychicus, so get that right, okay? If you track the, the journeys, at least if you look in the book of Philemon as well as in the book of Colossians 4.9, Paul sent Onesimus back to Philemon. Remember the runaway slave who ran away from Philemon and that as he runs away, he runs into another city and this man Onesimus meets this man named the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul shares the mystery of the gospel with Onesimus. And so that Paul in another book would say, 
he's like my son and I am his father. And then when the story goes on in Philemon, when it was found out that he ran away without authority, without papers, the Apostle Paul sends him back to Philemon. But the guy taking him back was Tychicus. No, I like his name now. I mean, what must that have been if he's walking back and Tychicus is saying, what happened to you, Onesimus? Well, I was there and I ran into the Apostle Paul and he began to share the gospel with me and I bowed my knee to the King of Heaven And then when Paul finally, as he began to disciple him, he said, you need to go back and make that right. He sent Onesimus back with Tychicus. I think he sent him back. Why? Because here he is, a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant. Listen, he is little known, but he is an unsung hero. And I mean this genuinely. I can't wait to meet him in heaven. I I just... He's behind the scenes. Listen, what an epitaph on a gravestone that that he was a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. Wow. He's a servant of the Lord. And so he sends Tychicus back because he'll communicate, Paul says, everything about me to you. But he's also coming, he says in the text, to comfort your hearts. What's, what's interesting here is there's no sermon that he ever preached, no specific office that he ever held, but he's faithful, he's beloved, he's a servant. I would say there's many of you like that in this place. And I just want you to know some of it just goes unseen by people because here I am seen but there are so many people who labor in this flock continually to make all the things we do work and I want you to know that's how the body of Christ is going to work Paul says you pray for me that I could speak boldly Paul prays for all the churches But then here you got a guy like Tychicus that Paul can't do what Paul's doing without people like that in the church. And more importantly, being seen by me is you're seen by the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we know that some of you prayer warriors are praying more for people in this flock than anybody knows? Listen, I want you to know he sees that, the Lord. He knows that. The leadership covets your prayers. I, I think that's true in Matthew. You know, scatter the shepherd, right? Or the, grab the, the shepherd and the, the sheep. Scatter. Listen, all I know is here's a great man named Tychicus. And I think we're going to know him. We will in heaven. And I think his reward is going to be mighty. And so I just say to you, if you feel like you're often behind the scenes and unknown, it's okay because you're not unseen and unknown to God. He sees everything you do. And as a leader here in the church, I mean, we could never do all that we do without all of you and the work you do. So listen, Tychicus is loved. He's faithful, he's beloved, he's a servant. And then Paul gives this beautiful benediction. Would you look at it? He says, 
I don't want to skip over it. In fact, I think it's amazingly clear. I think it gives a tremendous recap. But he says, peace to the brothers, 23, and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, peace to the brothers. In other words, that's a great theme of his in Ephesians 2, that he gave us his peace through his death on the cross. Here, love with faith. He's mixing, I believe, God's love for us and our faith in Christ. And that love is accompanied by faith. And so here, this peace and love with faith flows from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, every blessing we've ever been given flows from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Every single thing to our account comes from the peace that he made for us, Christ, on the cross. Comes from his love for us, that in love, in chapter one, verse four and five, he predestined us to adoption. Look back at Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 4 where he even uses that phrase there in 2.4 but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. I love that. And so he's looking back at both peace and he's looking back both at love that's accompanied by grace but then look what he says in 6.24 He closes it out and he says there, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. It is an amazing statement. So you got peace, you got love in verse 23, and then you got grace be with all who love the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, he's talking about the amazing grace of God in 1.6 after the Father called us in eternity past to the praise, Paul says, of his glorious grace with which he blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And of course, you know grace in chapter two, for by grace, 2.8, you have been saved through faith. So he closes out with this wonderful benediction of peace and love with faith, and they flow from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he, he bids us, if you will, grace be with you all. In other words, it's grace at the beginning and it's grace all the way to the what? To the end. All of it. This is what makes Christianity distinct is it's not by works. I listened to Jack Barley this morning in isms and schisms talking about the cult-like practices of the seventh day at Venice and they're like a, like a broken clock, frankly. They're right twice a day. They quote the scriptures. But so many of their practices are bound up in legalistic structures that people have no confidence of their eternal security and don't know if they ever will make it there. And if you're not sure if you're going to make it there, then don't ever skip the Sabbath day on Saturday. That's enough to condemn someone forever for judgment. But beloved, when I look at Paul... He's saying it's grace for us. He says you were saved by grace. You'll be kept in grace. 
And then he makes this amazing statement. Have you ever seen it before? Look at it in 24. He says, in, he says grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, with a love incorruptible, a love imperishable, a love, if you will, that is immortal. He, he's saying here, grace to you for all who love Jesus Christ with a sincere love. For all who love Jesus Christ, not just with a temporary decision, but with a love incorruptible. Listen, in Ephesians, we've seen a little bit of everything we've, of love. We've seen God's love for believers many times. Five times in the book of Ephesians, it talks about Christ's love for us. Eight times in the book of Ephesians, it talks about our love for one another. It also talks about a husband's love for his wife. But it is only here that our love for him is made explicit. So what does that mean? I think this is the very definition of a Christian. We can say all we want and all we need to believe and that's necessary. But a true man, a true woman of God loves our Lord Jesus Christ. And you love him with an incorruptible, imperishable uh, love uh, that will never be tainted. You, you, you might be thinking, well, gosh, doesn't that go against grace? Now you're talking about my love. Well, I should say Paul's talking about your love. But I think that's the point. Peace comes from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, love with faith begin with God because we love, because, you know, because he first loved us, right? We love him because he first loved us. And then when you get to the grace, all your salvation is God's. He moved in and gave you his glorious grace when you were undeserving. And now he comes back at the end and he says, grace be with all who love. Now he's, we're reciprocating that. What do you mean we're reciprocating that? Because of all that God's done out of your heart and your passion, you just love the Lord Jesus Christ with a love that's incorruptible. This is the very definition of a Christian. Maybe Edwards talked about this, Jonathan Edwards, the great theologian, when he talked about our affections for Christ. But there is in the life of, believe, of the believer, not perfect love, but a love that's incorruptible, that's gonna stay. You say, is this in other scriptures? Yeah, too many, but I'll quote a few. Romans 8, 28, it says, we know, he says, for those who, what? Love God. All things work together for the good. It doesn't work together for everybody, but for those who have been moved by his grace, mercy, and love, we love God. First Corinthians 2.9, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, the heart of man imagined what God has prepared. There it is. For those who what? Who love them. This is the life of a believer. It's not a matter of making a decision at one point, and you know that. 
A true believer is a faithful follower, a fellow servant, a beloved brother, and we may not be all that we should be, but I'm asking you this morning, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? James, when we exposited from that book, he said, God chose the poor of the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. Your love doesn't win heaven. We're not saying that. But his grace, peace, right? And love with faith is gonna reveal itself that all you know and all you have and all you are is Christ. Listen, don't you just wanna be found faithful to the very end? Don't you just wanna hear the Lord say to you, say to me, well done, my good and faithful, what? Servant. Then he said, enter into the joy of your master. In fact, James would even say, we looked at 2.5, but in one twelve, he said, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God promises to those who love him. So the, it's the response. It's not the root. The root is his grace, but the fruit is our love towards him. But maybe you feel like Peter did when Jesus asked Peter in John 21, and he asked him, do you love me? You remember that? Do you love me? Do you love me? And I think he asked him that because of his triple denial. He, he denied him three times. So there, after the resurrection, as he makes breakfast for them, he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And it's fascinating because Jesus on the first two, I talk with you on this. He said, do you agape me? And Peter, it's hard for him to respond. So Jesus asked a second time, do you agape me? And Peter, just fresh off his triple denial, it was hard for him to say, I agape you. And then on the third one, Jesus changed the word to phileo. Peter, do you even like me? And that's when Peter said at that point, Lord, you know all things. You know I phileo you. In other words, he had been so discouraged he couldn't come to a place at one point where he could say, I love you with the totality of my being in light of my great sin. But what's so tender there is Jesus said after that, then feed my sheep. My point being is he took Peter where he was in the equation and then he turned around to make him the boldest, the greatest, the boldest man on the face of the earth in the book of Acts. And then he became so humbled that he didn't want to be crucified by our Lord in the way that our Lord Jesus Christ was. So he chose, you know this, to be crucified upside down because he didn't consider himself worthy to suffer in the same way of our Lord. But Jesus took him where he was. And he's going to take you where you are. But this is the definition of a believer. Remember when Peter said, though you have not seen him, what? You love him, okay? 
So here's the four alls of prayer to stand against Satan. The time, pray at all times. The variety, all prayer and petitions. The perseverance with all perseverance and the objects for all the saints and also for all the leaders that are out there boldly proclaiming the message. It could be that it's personal for those of you who give out the gospel to the people that you interact with. But listen, would it be that that would be our hearts? Do you remember that famous hymn? What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry, what? Everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I pray that we'd be a praying people in a praying church. Would you bow your head with me?